All right. Good morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? I'll just tell you what, that last song was worth the price of admission today. I'll guarantee you that. I like that. So I'd heard it before. Amen. She sent me the words, you know, sent me the words. And I thought, oh, those are good words. And then when she started saying, I said, oh, I know this song. And that's awesome. It fired me up. It's good. God is good. Amen. Amen. I, I saw a brother sitting here today. And, you know, I walked by and just, hey, how you doing, you know? And, and I could tell he's just like, like not feeling, you know, not pepped up, not good. And so we just chatted for a moment. And, you know, I really believe what I'm fixing to say. I believe, you know what, we really need to hear more and we need to believe more just how much God loves us. Just how much God loves us. I, I have one of them Alexa things, you know. And so, of course, you know if it's a gadget, I probably got it. And so, so Judy was gone. And I've got this other woman in my house. And so I said, hey, Alexa, turn on Chris Tomlin Radio. And so she says, I'll play Chris Tomlin Radio. And it started playing this music off of Pandora. And just one song after another, the affirmation of how much God loves us. And I'm just sitting there eating my grits and eggs, just enjoying and just being affirmed about how much God loves us. When we succeed and when we fail, when, when we seem to have a great day, when we have a difficult day, when our mind is light and when our mind is dark, he loves us unconditionally, unconditionally and unlimited. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Now, you know, we've been in Oz for the last three weeks. This is our third week. And, and, you know, based on the movie, The Wizard of Oz, and we got Dorothy home last week through the story of the prodigal son. Um, we got her. She, she ended up whisked away in a twister. And, and we talked about John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's the twister, how the twisters tear things up. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And we saw how that she clicked the ruby slippers together and, you know, all along the answer was there and just clicked those slippers together. I was no place like home. There's no place like home. And next thing she knows, she wakes up in bed and the prodigal son came to himself and said, look, Man, the hired servants at home got it better than I do. Uh, I'm going to go home and tell the father that I've sinned against him and that I'm not even worthy to be called his son because I'd be a hired servant. And he went home and the father greeted him and hugged him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And I explained last week, that's just what God wants to do in your life. You've got to understand God is waiting for you to come home. If it's for the first time, we're going to tell those folks in Judgment House, Brent, we're going to tell them if they've never come home for the first time when they've never had God's forgiveness in their life that he's waiting for them to ask and turn from their sin and follow his son, Jesus Christ, and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And there's going to be rooms full of people that have already made some kind of commitment to Christ, but their life is not, not what God wants it to be. And, and I say that not because we all keep the rules, but because we can enjoy that abundant life when there's sin in our life. And so, so we're going to tell them also there's a time to come home, maybe the second or third time, not to be resaved, but to restore the fellowship of that. Well, if you remember correctly, there's some stories, there's some uh, characters then that are still left in Oz that we need to talk about. And the one we're going to talk about today is the Scarecrow. Now, if you remember the Scarecrow, he didn't have a brain. And, and that was his great desire was that, that I would have a brain. And so on their journey to see the great and powerful Oz, okay, on the yellow brick road, they get there and they discover that the great and powerful Oz wasn't so great and powerful after all. And by the way, let me pause there and just say this. That's the deal with religion. Too many people say, I need to get back in church. I need to find religion. Well, let me just tell you something. You may find religion, but you won't find what you're looking for. And it's a great thing to get back in church, but what you need is get back to God, not get back to church. Because religion and church are not the answer. A relationship with Jesus Christ is, is. And so the great and powerful laws, when they discover out he's not so great and powerful, he reaches into his magic bag of tricks and starts pulling out some things. The last picture of the slide there uh, showed those things. And what he does, he reaches into his little bag of tricks and pulls out a diploma. A diploma. And he hands this diploma to the scarecrow and tells him, you know, you know you've got brain, you just don't have a diploma. And when the, when the scarecrow gets the diploma, oh, all of a sudden he just becomes super intelligent and quotes some scientific equation. I'm not sure what it was, which, by the way, an interesting fact of the movie is he quotes it wrong. I saw that on faith. I saw that on the internet. I looked it up. And he quotes it wrong. But, but all of a sudden he sounds so intelligent. So intelligent. Now, now the problem with us 
a lot of believers today, we don't walk around saying we're brainless, okay? We don't, we don't walk around going, you know, I wish I had a brain. But you know what we do? We do walk around in the dark. We do walk around in the dark. Um, you know, there are several things that God has shown me in the last year and um, several scriptures and, and one of them was, and we didn't get this on the sermon sheet, but we won't get there today, I'm pretty certain, you know, where, where it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. And one thing, and, and boy, I experienced it today. I just, you know, just this darkness on my brain, you know, but I found out that if we're not careful, our brain likes to go in the dark. Our brain likes to go in the dark. It kind of happens when the wrong person whispers in your ear, Mainly that's Satan, by the way. Or for some reason you're feeling insecure, you're feeling circumstances are difficult. Different things cause it, but we start thinking in the dark. And bad things happen when we think in the dark. You know, in in 2003, and that's only 14 years ago, in 2003 there was a big blackout in the northeast, and blackout meaning there was no electricity, and the northeast, almost all the northeast, and it went up into Canada even, and 55 million people were without electricity, some for just like four or five hours. But considering the, the scope of it, how that it was so much of an area of America, 55 million people, um, considering that, even for a few hours, it was just amazing. And, but some people didn't get power back for a week. And so strange things happen when we black out. And I'm going to tell you this. As a believer in Jesus Christ, when we live and think in the dark, strange things happen. Now, the reason I love this song, and I cannot remember the words um, that Linda just sang verbatim, but I just realized, again, how God does His, his wonderful thing. And, and, you know, here's what I wrote down. When, when we start living in the dark, scriptures change. When we start living in the dark, thinking in the dark, when our mind stays in the dark, scriptures change. You know, for instance, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But when Satan whispers and the twister comes and the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, and when we start thinking in the dark, we don't hear anymore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We start thinking and believing that I can do nothing through Christ who strengthens me. You're going to owe me lunch. But here's the deal. Some of you won't sign up for acting on Judgment House, not because you're too busy. You say, I've never done that before. And I can't do it. That's just dark thinking. If, in fact, we believe Philippians 4.13, we love to quote that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If, in fact, that's true then we can do whatever God asks us to do and wants us to do. But when we're thinking in the dark, we, we start thinking, I can do nothing through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Romans 8.1, again, a verse that's so powerful and it's truth. And when we're thinking in the light, it says this, There is now, therefore, no condemnation, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we live and we believe that there is no charge against us that the blood of Jesus Christ has not handled. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But when we're thinking in the dark, when we allow circumstances and things like that to creep into our lives, and it happens, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it changes to there's nothing but condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we live a life of guilt. That's what I hate about religion. Yeah, I said it. That's why I hate that religion. Religion will put such a guilt trip on you. And trust me, when you're living in a guilt trip, it's anything but the abundant life. But when we're living in the dark, we all of a sudden start saying, there's nothing. I'm condemned. I'm condemned. I'm a failure. I'll always be a failure. We'll be a failure. I can't. I can't. I can't. And yet God says you can. And God says that there's no condemnation. But when you're thinking in the dark, you start thinking... The opposite. Uh, Romans 8.31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? But when you start living and thinking in the dark, when the lights go out, you start thinking, if God is against us, no one can be for us. Can I tell you something? God is not against you. I know, I know. 
Sometimes your circumstances are such that it just seems like God's got to be angry at you, that God doesn't love you, that God's forsaken you, that God's abandoned you, that God went home and didn't tell you. God is for you. As as his children now, God is for you and not against you. But when we think in the dark, and it happens, when we think in the dark, we start living in the dark. If God is against us, then who can be for us? The last one I thought was appropriate was Matthew 16, 26. You know, what is a man profit if he gained the whole world? What is a man profit if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? We start thinking and saying, you know, what does a man profit if I have the whole world or lose the whole world and gain my soul? What does a man profit if I lose the world and have my soul? In other words, does it really pay to serve Jesus? What what if I live these 70 years and I'm called by God to give up and 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 and get to go to heaven? Is it really worth it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but see, when we live, when we think in the dark, when we think in the dark, those kind of thoughts grow through our brain, and we totally miss the abundant life that God has given us. Now, now I wish I could tell you, and it's kind of that easy, but I wish I could tell you we could reach our magic bag and pull out a diploma and give it to you, and you'll never think dark again, but that's just not the truth. But the truth is, with God, all things are possible. And God wants to so impact the way we think. He wants to impact our minds such that we live totally different. I'm kind of excited about this. Because I know it's something, again, that impacts where I live. Now, I have to be honest and be candid. And that is this. There are certain scriptures that I love. There are certain And I will find excuses to teach them. So if you've noticed a pattern that there are certain scriptures that at least once or twice a year seem to poke up somewhere in my messages, it is not by accident. It's just that I love them. And I went through and started looking at scriptures dealing with our mind. And, and how, can, how can God help us to, re, to mind our mind? How can God help us to change our mind? How can God help us to renew our mind? And I, boy, there were a couple of close contenders, but I had to end up in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And, and I hope today we can present these truths in a different way. And I asked the Lord this morning, I'll be honest, I prayed this morning, I said, God, help me to put this on a level that every person can understand it, but at the same time, it'll be fresh and new and challenging for each person there. So if you get your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2, a very powerful scripture, a very powerful scripture about renewing our mind. How can we, and by the way, this is not the power of positive thinking. Uh, Don't even go there, all right? But how can we renew our mind so that we live in the light and not in the darkness? Well, Paul starts very powerfully in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, the very first part, and really something you just need to hear today. It says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, you've always learned, you know, if the word therefore is there, you need to find why it's therefore. Okay, and so I look back in Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33, 34, 35, and 36, and what I read there, again, was just a wow thing. I mean, I, I read these scriptures, and I, wow, that's so incredible of our God. So, so again, would you allow yourself to be wowed? Now, if you've been married 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years, okay, Hopefully, in your marriage, you still got the wow factor. I can just only imagine Brent, you know, when Tracy walks out sometimes and he just goes, wow, you owe me two lunches. You owe me two lunches. All right? So, so the wow. So would you please allow yourself to be wowed by God? Would you just allow yourself to be wowed by God today? Here's what it says. Oh, Paul says, oh, the death of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Someone needs to hear that today. 
Because you can't figure out God. Don't worry, Paul couldn't, we can't. Our God is so much bigger than us. His ways are past finding out. His judgments are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And that's what the Apostle Paul precludes, begins with, before he says, therefore. So, with this magnificent God that loved us so much, the Bible says, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross, that ordinary people, Joe, everyone, ordinary people like me and you, could come into relationship and call the creator God, Father. <laughs> Come on now. We can call creator God Father. He loved us so much. His mercy is so great. Therefore, because of all that, and because of these wonderful mercies of God. Now, again, something I'm... They say if you say something often enough, it sticks in our brain finally. And I really want this to stick in your brain. You know, we have, we have made a regular practice here to preach about God's grace. Uh, you say, well, yeah, why do we do that, Dwayne? Why do we talk about grace so much? Because it's amazing. That's original, isn't it? <laughs> John Newton thought it was. <laughs> he thought it was pretty amazing. Okay, so, so it's amazing. But I also you know, want you to think about always about God's mercy too. Because grace is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. It's a favor we cannot earn. That's grace. Mercy is God's unmerited kindness. His kindness toward us of which, like grace, we cannot earn. Okay, so his grace is unmerited favor and mercy is unmerited kindness. So so because of these kindnesses, you know, there's a scripture over in Lamentations. And boy, that's a that's a good place to find a scripture of encouragement. Lamentations, Lamentations, chapter three. You'll recognize some of these words because of a song because because of the Lord's faithful love. Now, we just need to pause there. Because of God's, the Lord's faithful love. See, that's what I was telling my brother today, and that's what I believe in my life, and I hope you believe in your life, is that, you know, when I mess up, God still loves me. And, and when I think I'm strutting pretty good, got it down pat, God loves me. When I fall flat on my face, God loves me. His faithful love. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. How, you, how You can't keep quiet on that. Can't keep quiet on that. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. Because of His faithful love, we do not perish. Well, I thought it was because I was doing so good. Honey, no. You ain't that good. I talked to your wife yesterday and she said you were not that good. Alright? So, so... But because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies, his unmerited kindness, never end. Someone say never. Never end. Okay? I love this. Watch this. They are new every morning. I love the fact, I love the story of manna. You know, back when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness and they had to have food. And God just arranged. So they'd go out and find honey cakes laying around on the ground. I personally think it was little bowls of grits, but that's my own interpretation. Okay? But they, they I mean, they were there every day. They, they, it was faithfulness, man. They're new every day. And they go out every morning and pick up that day's supply, except for the Sabbath, you know, night before the Sabbath, and they picked up two days. But they picked up a supply every day. That's the way God's mercy is. It's new every day. Isn't that awesome? That's cool, man. That's cool. He says, they are new every day. And here it is. Here's this part you're going to really remember. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. And the song says, oh God, unto me. Oh God, unto me. So, so Paul says, you know, 
Therefore, because of these mercies, okay, he's going to call us to do something. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and 4 through 6 says this. Ephesians 2, 4 and 6. But God, get ready. But God, who is rich in mercy. Hmm, come on now. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in unmerited kindness. You know, when I got a broke down car, I like to find a mechanic who's rich in knowledge about cars. I don't care what he knows about coal stoves. I don't care what he knows about fixing a dryer. But when, when my car breaks down, I want a mechanic who's rich in knowledge about cars. Well, as a mercy deficit person, a person who needs a lot of mercy, I'm glad God's rich in mercy. As, as a sinner boy, a, a, as what John Newton said, a wretch, as a former enemy of God, I'm glad we got a God who's rich in unmerited kindness. As a man who needs kindness, I'm glad we got a God who is rich in kindness. Come on now. That's who we're talking. See, see, that's why, that's why we can't sit around like we're dead. We, we can't sit around like God ain't done nothing for us. Man, look at the bloodstained cross and tell me God ain't done nothing for you. Think about the time when Jesus hung on that cross and was buried in a tomb we, you know, for three days because of God's grace and unmerited kindness. Don't tell me God's not merciful because He is. God's rich in mercy because of His great love. He's enamored with you. What, Dwayne? That's just being a little flippant. Oh, really? Again, I quoted half of it already. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. If He's not enamored with us, what is He? If He's not enamored with us enough to send... He's so enamored with us, He sent His Son Jesus. What word would you use? Are you excited yet about God? Are you excited about God's love for you? I don't care if you've been saved 75 years. Do you think you're Moses? That's enough to fire you up, man. That's enough to fire you up. Who's rich in mercy and because of his great love that he had for us. He, he, hello, he made us alive. He made us alive with the Messiah even though we were dead in trespasses. Let, let, me, let me help you grasp that. This is why you all be fired up with God. Before Jesus, you are stone cold dead. You weren't, you weren't needing resuscitation. You were needing a resurrection. You were, you were stone cold dead spiritually. And God in His grace. And God in His mercy. And God in His love reached down and did a little CPR on you. And brought you to life. Come on, yeah, come on. Come on, I'm telling you, this is good stuff. And that's what he did for us. He said, even though we were dead in trespasses, you're saved by grace. Not by performance. You're saved by grace. So, so Paul says, therefore, because of these mercies, because of the God who's rich in mercies, and because of his great love, he says in the second part of verse number one, I urge you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, let's just let's slow down and grab a hold of that. There's an urgency there. I urge you, the good old King James. That's why I mean, I learned this verse back when I was 15 years old. For I was a believer, I knew this verse. And that word beseech was in the King James, and that's why I learned. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. There's an urgency there. I urge you to present. And, and that word present literally means to make available. To make available. Now, we're going to talk about a little why you should do that in a little bit. But, but we should make our bodies available. So you might say, what's the big deal about bodies? What's the big deal about bodies? Well, it's through our body... That puts action to our thoughts and intents. In other words, if we didn't have a body, okay, we would not be able to do anything, period. 
you're going to force me to tell a joke, aren't you? I never tell jokes. This poor fellow was born without a head or without a body. And so they did a miracle. They did a body transplant. So they sewed the body on. Everything went well. But he was a little anxious to get out of the hospital. So he wanted him to stay a month. He stayed two weeks. So he got out of the bed. He was kind of walking bad like this, you know. He walked right out of the hospital in front of a car and killed him dead. Isn't that a sad story? You know what the moral of the story is? Quit while you're ahead. Yeah, well, I never tell jokes, and that's the reason why. Now, listen. The reason, the reason, listen. That's a rare day. The reason Paul says present your bodies, because it's the bodies, come on, come on, it's the bodies that's got the hands, it's the bodies that's got the feet, it's the body that's got the mind for us to delve in and do judgment house and talk to people about Jesus and serve the Lord and worship the Lord. That's why the body's important. That's why he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I read some this morning, even this morning. I said, oh, that's so good. There are two beautiful examples. You say, what is a living sacrifice? There are two beautiful examples in the Bible what a living sacrifice is. One is Isaac. Now, again, I can't give you a whole big Bible lesson, but you remember back when you know, Abraham was there and there was Isaac, and God had said through this son, Isaac, all the nations would be blessed. Not through another son, through this son. And then God did the strangest thing. God says, I want you to take that son, Isaac, the one I promised you is going to have all the people of the nations blessed. I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. So Abraham gets the wood together and gets the knife, and him and the boy go up on the mountain. And, of course, Isaac goes and says, Lord, here's, or, Dad, here's the, here's the fire and here's the wood and there's the knife, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, listen, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Now, Abraham believed that it was through Isaac that, that, the, that the nations would be blessed. So he did not know if, A, God was going to intervene some way, or, B, there was going to be a resurrection. But he did believe this. Him and the boy were coming back down off that mountain. Him and the boy were coming back down on the mountain. So they got to the top, and there's debate about, did Isaac lay down? Did Abraham have to force him? But the bottom line was, he was laid on the altar, okay? And the hand with the knife was raised, and God stopped the hand. God stopped the hand. Because it was not about Isaac being sacrificed. It was about Abraham's faith and obedience. And about that time, you know, Moses, or Moses Abraham looked over in the bush, and what did he see? A ram. A sacrifice. God had provided the sacrifice. So Isaac crawls down, gets down off of the altar, and he is a living sacrifice. He was as good as dead, but he lived to tell the story. We were as good, we were dead, and we're as good as dead in Christ, but we live to tell the story. That's what it's about. Of course, the greatest example of a living sacrifice is Jesus Christ. You know, on Friday, they nailed him to a wooden cross like this, and he finished it and said, it is finished. He breathed his last, and he died. He was dead. Three days later, the grave couldn't hold him. He resurrected and became a living sacrifice. And what Paul is saying when he says that we should, we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, he's saying we should be as good as dead, but alive. Not alive in our... Oh, this is good. Not alive in ourselves, but alive in Christ. Now, y'all, some of y'all need to get this. Because, see, y'all signed up for the Jesus journey, thinking all you need was your ticket punch for heaven. There ain't no such thing as just your ticket punch for heaven. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you become His for the purposes of the kingdom. He's not a ticket puncher to heaven only. He is sovereign King. He is Lord, He is Master, and we are His slaves. Okay, okay. Long, long we're tracking together. Long as we're tracking. I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart, pleasing. Well, you know what pleasing means. Holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship. I think the old King James said reasonable service, but a better translation is this is your spiritual 
worship. Now, we gotta, we got to get this. Because when you think worship, you think three songs and a prayer. Now, regardless, regardless where those songs come from, that's what we think of worship. It's, it's part of worship, but it's not the big, the big deal. You know, if those of you like the traditional songs and hymns, it's three songs out of the hymn book and pray, pray and the preacher preach and we go home. That's worship. Those of you who like the words on the screen, it's Brother David putting those words together and we do it and that, that's worship. And it's part of worship. The hymns are part of worship. But you know what? The bullpen is not all there is to the game. When that pitcher's down there warming up to pitch... That's not the game. The game is when the phone rings and the coach picks it up and says, send in Taylor, we need a left-hander. And he goes out and gets involved in the game. That's when it happens. When Paul says, which is your spiritual worship, what happens here is warm-up for... Shoot that thing. What happens here is warm-up For the real game. The real game is out there or in here Friday night. But it's wherever kingdom work is taking place. Whether it's 500 feet underground in a coal mine. Whether it's in a class of 30 people at a school. Whether it's down by the pharmacy at, at medicine shop or one of the other pharmacies. Or down at Walmart. Or whether it's walk around the block. Or whether it's in the parking lot of a building. Or whether it's in your house talking to your child about the Lord Jesus Christ. Real worship takes place out in the field. And he says... And he says, that's why I need your body. I don't need your body so you can sit in a blue chair and sing songs. Nothing wrong with that. I need your body so you can get out there and really worship me doing kingdom work. That's what it's all about. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says this. Don't you know? Don't you know? That your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you. The reason your body is so important is because it's where the Holy Spirit lives. Now, I need to tell you this. Someone needs to hear this. Because you don't think God likes you anyway. He's let you in because he made a promise and got to keep the promise. The Holy Spirit is not imprisoned in you. He gladly lives in you. Because you are a child of God. You have been blood bought. You are redeemed. You are a child of God God by by the new birth and by adoption. God loves you. God likes you. God cares for you. You need to know that. The Holy Spirit is not imprisoned in you. He gladly lives in you. And He's not just visiting He's a permanent resident. You know, he's not your mama-in-law that you're hoping will leave. Or father-in-law. No, no. He's not visiting. He's a permanent resident. He goes on and says this. You are not your own. Someone say, you are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And what a price. And what a price. You know, there are two times people talk about price, generally speaking. The first is, you know, you, you know, sometimes you just find a whale of a deal. I mean, we're talking about bargain. And so, so somebody says, hey, is that, a, is that a new watch you got on? Yeah. You, you're not going to believe the deal I got on this one. I have pulled it over on Target's eyes. I was down there, and on the clearance rack, it was a $25 watch, and I got it for $2. And people go, I just can't believe you got a deal like that. Sometimes we brag about the price because it's so cheap. But sometimes you brag because it's expensive. You take that same watch and make it a $500 Apple watch. And you take for a person who really appreciates an Apple watch. And they'll say, is that an Apple watch? Yeah, that's an Apple watch. Oh, they're expensive, aren't they? Say, yeah, yeah, it was expensive. But let me tell you something. It was worth every dollar. 
to that person, it was worth every dollar. Same talk about prices, but one, what a deal I got, and the other, how expensive it was. Well, let me tell you something. Your salvation didn't cost you anything. You're not earning your salvation by being a good boy or a good girl. You're not earning your salvation by keeping the rules really well. You're not earning your salvation by going to church three times a week. It was a free gift. And it wasn't cheap. It cost you nothing. So in that sense, I guess you could say it was a bargain for you. Boy, was it an expensive gift. Boy, was it an expensive gift gift. He died for you. He died for you. Not trying to be flippant again, but I think based on Scripture, he never said it this way, but I think God would say, and it was worth every dollar. Do you understand that? Do you understand how magnificent you are in the eyes of God? you understand how precious you are in the eyes of God? God doesn't say, what a bad deal I made when I gave Jesus for these worthless human beings. He loves us. He cares for us. And he would say, it was worth everything I paid for the redemption of men. Come on, somebody say, man, shoot that thing. Shoot that thing. All right, we better move on. Look at Romans chapter 12, the second part of verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this age. Now, now what happens is when we start thinking dark, that's what happens. You're, if you're looking for a more practical term, that's what happens. Okay? I, I don't really understand a pressure cooker. I never used a pressure cooker, um, but I think it involves pressure. See, y'all think I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I figure these things out all of myself. And so, so you take a pressure cooker, and I think how it happens is it's got a steam release valve, and you lock that sucker down, and you put the water in there, and the pressure builds up. And as the pressure builds up inside, whatever is inside is permeated by the steam. It's penetrated. Okay? So, so when, when Paul says, do not be conformed, you could put that word, do not be pressured by this age. Don't be pressured by this world. That's, Mackenzie, you've heard the word peer pressure before. That's what happens. That's why it's so hard sometimes to be a student today in today's school culture because the peer pressure is huge. And what happens is the, the pressure will make you conform to whatever image, whatever shape they want you to be. Okay? Now, here's what's crazy. Listen to this. There was a time that I would stand up and preach, and we'd say how students, how students were under intense peer pressure. They are. But if you're a young adult here, you are. If you're a median age adult here today, you are. If you're a senior adult here today, You are subject to peer pressure. I see senior adults doing things today like cohabitating. Like they're going to live together, have sex together. You know, because that's something for young kids, not for senior adults. And they will justify it. And they'll go in the culture and say, that's okay. Listen, they'll they'll help them justify. That's okay. Well, not if God says it's not okay, it's not okay. I don't care, again, if you're as old as Moses. If God says wrong, when, when it's wrong if you're 20, it's wrong when you're 75. Are y'all still there? It's getting awful quiet. Them senior adults like it when I pick on young kids, but they don't like it when I get the, to our age. <laughs> to our, y'all keep forgetting I am one. I am one. So don't be pressured. Don't be conformed to this age, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, we're going to have to hurry unless I got pulpit late. I don't think I did. What's that clock say? Clock says I got five minutes. Okay. All right. Listen, here's Colossians 3, 2, and 3. And Linda, this is your song. Set your minds 
Fix your eyes. Set your mind on what is above, not on what is on the earth. Set your mind. The way you renew your mind is, is you focus your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, again, I am not a sports person. I cannot do anything. I mean, they don't trust me with power tools, and they don't choose me for the team. I mean, I was out working yesterday with the men, and the time I left, I was bleeding three ways. They said, what did you do yourself? I said, that just happens. It just happens. But I know this. T.A. told me this one time, T.A. Sullivan. He told me about batting and how that the batter will focus his attention Set his attention. He's not looking at mama waving in the stands. He's not listening to the guy over here hollering at him saying, Yeah, guys, strike out. He's nothing. If he's going to hit that ball, he's got to focus. And they said a good batter can see the stitches on the ball before it gets there. How's that? Focused. Focus. Set your minds on what is above, not on the things of the earth. And that's where we get in our sinking dark thinking. Because we allow the shouts of the world, the noise of the world, the thoughts of the world, the values of the world to permeate our brains. And we don't fix our minds right. I thought it was kind of funny. Her whole psalm was about faith. And I wrote down, the problem is we have too many believers with hokey pokey faith. You know the song Hokey Pokey? Well, you put your left foot in, you take your left foot out, you put your left foot in, and you shake it all about. Well, that's how we are with our faith. We get our faith right in, we pull our faith right out, we put our faith right in, and we shake it all about. One minute we're hot for Jesus, and the next minute we're saying, Jesus who? Are y'all there? Are you there? It's time. Now, if I could go out and sit with you and talk, I would because this is me. But it's time for hokey pokey faith to die. It's time to get all in, to sell out, to believe all that God says all of the time. Sometimes It's amazing. People will show up at church and just be, oh, about Jesus, all about Jesus. And look five months ago, where'd they go? Where'd they go? Hokey pokey faith. So, so set your mind, the cure to hokey pokey faith, set your minds on what is above, not on the things of the earth. For you have, here it is again, you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. So how do you renew your mind? You fix your focus. You fix your focus. All right, got to quit. Psalm 119. The second thing is this. We could preach a whole message on this, but the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is huge. If you're not praying the Word of God in your prayer life, you're missing something. If you're not praying the Word of God in your prayer life, you're missing something. Father, I thank you today that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God, I'm not that good, but by your grace I am. And, and Father, I believe today your Word says that my path, my steps are directed by you today and not by me. And God, it's great to know your word says that if I stumble and fall, I will not be utterly cast down because you will pick me up with your hand. Put the word of God in your prayer life. Put the word of God in your everyday life. Listen to this. This is one of those scriptures I just love. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man, a median age man, an old man, a student, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, not for the purpose of do's and don'ts, but for the purpose of living the best life ever, which is in obedience to God and down his will. How can a young person keep his way pure? By keeping your word. By keeping your word. I assault you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured, I have valued your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Amen and amen. And the last part, got to go. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That you might be able to discern that the, your prayer life, the word of God, and your focus will help you discern the will of God. Give me about one minute, two. So, Dwayne, if I only knew the will of God, 
If I only knew the will of God. Again, it was this year, I think. It was huge. It was huge. First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God says, you want to know my will? A chunk of it? I want you to be in joy. I don't want you to walk around as joyous robots. I want you to walk as joyful believers. The world's got to have, the world's got to want what we got, and they don't want unhappy faith. They don't want joyless faith. That's a better word, not unhappy. Joyless faith. They look at us like we got the flu and they say, I don't want to get contaminated with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I got my last pastor appreciation card. (laughs) Pray without ceasing. Walking, talking through life. God bless, God help. God convict, God control, God counsel. God help me. And... Grateful, thankful, gratitude. In everything. In everything. Did you get that? In everything. And this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, promise time, not because I believe it, but because the Word of God says it, and that is this. When we start practicing, when we start fixing our gaze, when, when we start renewing our mind with the Word of God and bringing that into our prayer life, and when we start doing, rejoicing, and praying, and being grateful... It's going to change how we live. Not make us better Christians. That's okay. Not make us better Christians. Make us joyful believers. Thankful for His mercy. Thankful for His grace. And ready to go out there and worship. To get into the game and play. Now, again, I told you, don't mind telling you, this is important to me because it's where I live. Even today, Satan was... In fact, I stopped singing. I don't know if the worship team saw me or not. I just stopped singing. I'm going to be very transparent. I stopped singing. I said, God, you know Satan is messing with my brain. You know he is. And I won't be honest with you. I pleaded the blood. I said, Jesus, in your name, I rebuke him. That is not what you want from me. I was bent and determined to be negative on something. You know what? God heard that prayer. Sent you to sing. And got me ready to preach. Tell me God's not good. Tell me God's not good. So take this home. If you're here today, and you've never... Ask God to forgive your sins and come to a relationship with Him. Today is your day. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front here. We call this decision time because it's decision time. The chance for you to say yes. I've already told you religion won't do it, church won't do it. But God can do in your life what you're really longing for. I mean it. I mean it. This room is filled with people who have experienced the grace of God. And it's amazing. It's amazing. So if you, if you want to know more about that, come see my friend Brent. We'll try to answer your questions and give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. If you're here today and you're his child, so many of us are, know this, know this, that God loves you even though you're not perfect, even though you fail. God loves you. Satan will convince you that you can never serve because you're less than. Well, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you're not less than, you're more than. You're not less than, you're more than. Can I say that saying that Judy's got on the bathroom, in our bathroom upstairs? Let's see if I can get it out. It's not who you think you're not. No, it's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. Think about that. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. 
is who you think you're not. You are a child of God. If you've experienced God's grace, you are a child of the king. You live in the royal palace, and the king calls you child. That's pretty good. Amen? All right, let's pray. Well, Father, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this, and I hope it made sense. I'm sure glad, Father, for your word and how powerful and true that it is. Now, Father, there's someone here today who, uh, who desperately needs forgiveness. They have tried quitting drinking and stopping drugs. They tried breaking habits. They tried church. They tried different denominations. They tried being a better person. And they feel today as they failed. And you know what? The truth is they have. And they don't need a reformation. They need a resurrection. They need the birth, the new birth of Jesus Christ. So I pray if there's someone here today who needs your forgiveness for the first time, that today you would bring them to yourself. Have them come forward and say, Brent, I want this Jesus that the pastor talked about. And I know you wait to forgive their sins and call them child. And they call you father. For my brothers and sisters and me, I want to thank you, God, for your gracious mercy, your abundance of love. And I want to pray, Father, that you'll just speak to our hearts now. Help us leave this room knowing that there's an almighty God who loves us. Regardless of how we perform, he loves us and calls us child. May Satan be defeated when he tries to infect our brains. When he tries to make our brains go dark, rather, may we learn and may we by faith walk in the light, live in the light. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.